This is Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda. I'm Johnny Hart. Let's speak to Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham in London. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, Johnny. We've had the latest UK food inflation numbers from the British Retail Consortium, and they make uh, eye-watering reading shortages of fruit and vegetables have helped push UK inflation to a record high in March. Uh, they've reached 15%, that is up from 14.5% in February. That is the highest since records began in 2005. Craig, these figures are made worse by these poor harvests in Europe and North Africa, which have affected the availability of fruit and veg. But nonetheless, as figures in themselves, they are very high. They are. I mean, like you say, they have been driven by short-term supply disruptions, so those conditions should improve. But they've also been hit by uh, other factors as well. Of course, you're talking about fresh fruit and veg there, but there are other areas where we have seen price spikes. In fact, overall uh, shop price inflation rose to 8.9%, so shy of that 15% number, but at the same time still far too high. And we've got to also remember that we're talking about an area where price competitiveness has been fierce in recent years. So these shops have found it extremely difficult to pass on higher prices to consumers for a number of years now. So to see those level of price hikes shows how challenging the situation ultimately is. But as I say, there's other factors that have contributed to it as well beyond the kind of supply chain and weather related issues. There's also things like a weaker pound, uh, higher energy costs, which increases transport costs, and a few other factors as well, uh, which means that people have been forced to spend less they've been forced to spend more at discount grocers and we've seen that of course over the last 15 years as well that's why Aldi and Lidl have done so well during that period uh, but it just highlights the fact that price growth is still far far too high now the good thing is going into the summer here in the UK those pressures should start to alleviate the impact of the pound should start to alleviate favorable base effects lower energy costs should mean that we do see inflation fall quite rapidly over the course of this year but at this point in time that's not going to help households and that's not going to alleviate those pressures and these numbers really do just put under the spotlight just how much pressure there is on household budgets at this point in time and interestingly, yesterday we heard the Governor of the Bank of England, Andrew Bailey, saying that early retirement is contributing to inflation and higher interest rates. The bank is obviously concerned about the number of people retiring early. They want to get more people back into work. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything overly controversial about that. I mean, this is something that Jeremy Hunt alluded to in the budget a couple of weeks ago as well. It's something that's been discussed quite widely, especially as being a particular problem for the UK over the course of the last year, is that there's kind of two gaps in the labour market, really. There's younger people, which has made up much of the lost ground since the pandemic. That could be people going into education or dropping out the labour force or higher childcare costs, which means there's less incentive to return to work. We heard a lot about that in the budget last week. But then there's also the 50 to 65 uh, year olds who have maybe retired early and there's different reasons behind that. It could be because of ill health, but it could also be because of the lack of financial benefits in terms of returning to the labour force. And we saw the government tried to address that issue uh, as well. 
And what that ultimately means is it means there's been a squeeze on the labour market. It means that we've got less jobs for compared to demand. And it means that the bargaining power has been more with those seeking work rather than those seeking uh, employees. And that means that we do see more prolonged higher pressures on wage costs because the power is almost with those who are moving jobs rather than those employing people. And what the Bank of England is saying here and what the government has said before them and other agencies have said before them is that imbalance is not going to help inflation get back to target. It's not necessarily saying that that is driving inflation. There's lots of things that have driven inflation. But a lot of these things are not going to drive the sustainability of high inflation. The sustainability of high inflation is going to be driven by higher wage demands over a prolonged period of time. That's what the Bank of England and the government is trying to suppress. Now, we saw earlier comments from Bank of England Governor Bailey last year, you'll remember, when he started to talk about wages. And he was effectively trying to encourage people to not have such high wage demands when they're discussing this with their employer. And that obviously didn't go down well. Really, what they should be looking at and what the government is now looking at and should have been looking at all along is the supply side. So trying to increase the supply of workers because the UK has had like I say, we've had a bit of a, a double shock. We've had the shock from the pandemic, and then we've also had the shock from Brexit and the impact that that's had on unemployment from Europe. And therefore, that has left us with a relative shortage. It can be undone and it can be repaired, but that's going to take some time. Uh, and I think that's what Andrew Bailey was alluding to yesterday. But there's a number of other things they touched on, including financial stability in the markets, including uh, the difference between the Bank of England's approach to financial stability and monetary policy, suggesting that this point there doesn't need to be an overlap they don't need to start cutting interest rates to uh, support financial stability in the economy that they have certain macro prudential tools in order to try and address those particular problems that doesn't influence with their goal of getting inflation back to target there was a number of different talking points and he's also going to be making an appearance today in front of the treasury select committee alongside a couple of colleagues to discuss the collapse of svb and the financial stability concerns that have arisen in the markets uh, over the course of the last few weeks on the back of that He seemed to suggest that there wasn't going to be a cut in rates, but is there any chance of rates going up when they next sit at the Monetary Policy Committee? So, so far, it's a coin toss, basically, is what markets are saying. And I think that probably is quite fair. And not necessarily just at the next meeting. The markets are saying we may get one more rate hike in the cycle, but that's basically it. Given the lack of clarity around the economy and the banking system at this point in time, I think that's relatively fair. I think even without the banking turmoil, we'd probably be in that situation as well. We've heard from the Monetary Policy Committee a lot over the last few months, and each time you've, it's been clear that they are divided on where they think prices are going. We've obviously seen two policymakers now at the last two meetings not vote for a rate increase, so I think that's quite significant. That shows the divide that already exists. But also, the Bank of England has already stated even months ago that it thinks that inflation was going to fall below 4% by the end of the year. That was back in February. Then we had the government announce that it believes that inflation is going to fall below 3% by the end of the year uh, based on the actions that it had taken as part of its budget um, and other price pressures within the economy. The Bank of England seemed to support that view um, as well at the meeting last week. Uh, and so while markets are pricing it as a coin toss, I do think these odds that this pricing is going to be subject to uh, a lot of movement over the course of the next weeks and months as we do start to see things settle down as the dust settles effectively on the turmoil that we've seen in the financial sector over the course of the last few weeks and they say as the dust settles as the dust hopefully settles because the last thing we need is a banking crisis on top of this finally craig 
the world's biggest cryptocurrency exchange, Binance, is being sued by regulators over claims that it sought to avoid regulations meant to prevent money laundering, while also enabling high-risk trades in America. Uh, this is another serious blow for the cryptocurrency market, isn't it? It is, but I, I do wonder whether this is just something that was always inevitable. We've never seen regulators fully embrace uh, cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency uh, exchanges, etc. There's always been uh, an element of tension between the two, and that's partly because the cryptocurrency industry wants to be, uh, in theory, decentralized and uh, wants to effectively kind of almost regulate itself, although we have seen a shifting of attitudes towards that over the course of recent years, um, embracing working with regulators. Equally, I don't think up until this point the regulators have fully had a grasp on how they can regulate the industry and also government agencies have kind of wanted to embrace crypto but at the same time don't know how to embrace crypto, don't know if it's safe, how it's safe but also don't want to be left behind and this cloud of uncertainty that's existed in and around that means that I think this kind of locking of horns at some point was always inevitable and we've already seen signs of it regulators going after these crypto firms what's more serious within this particular set uh, of allegations is things like the suggestion that not only did coinbase engage with u.s clients when they shouldn't have been but they were actively encouraging them to use things like vpns in order to hide their location in order to be able to trade with coinbase these types of allegations i think are possibly more serious because this suggests that not only are coinbase not playing by the u.s regulators rules but they're actively going out their way to get around them and help their clients get around them as well so this is going to be a really interesting case to follow, I think, now, because they are the biggest exchange, and especially in light of the FTX collapse. And this is kind of going to set the groundwork for what is going to happen in future with regards to crypto and the US authorities. And I think this is maybe like basically the start of the path towards um, crypto being embraced or not being embraced. And I think it is going to be embraced eventually. Um, but it, I think regulators are still, still at this point trying to get a grasp on how exactly they can regulate and monitor this industry effectively. Craig, thanks very much for joining us this morning. We'll speak to you again soon. Thank you. Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.